Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Lens. It is the month of June. It is June 5th already. We are approaching the halfway mark of the year. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online around the world 24-7 on my site, BehindTheLensOnline.net. But every Monday... You can find me right here on AdrenalineRadio.com uh, at 11 o'clock Pacific, to 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. So welcome, welcome. And I'm very thrilled today. I have Pam as my sound engineer. Yay! Because Brian didn't show up again. We're just letting everyone know that. Um, so Pam is here today, and we have a jam, jam-packed show for you. Some amazing and incredible guests. As soon as I find what I just did with my notes. Um, <laughs> we're going to start off the show in a few minutes with acclaimed director Greg Barker. He has, you may know his work from Frontline, from the documentary Manhunt. Uh, what else has, has he done? He has also done the homegrown counter-terror... De- terror dilemma um greg knows the military he knows the middle east he knows the warfare and now he has he brings us this incredible documentary legion of brothers which takes us back to 9-11 and a secret mission that was uh, that was put into play immediately after the attacks uh, we deployed a secret uh, secret force of Green Ber- Special Ops Green Berets into Afghanistan. The mission being destroy the Taliban and Al Qaeda. Um, he goes back and visits with the men of these two units of berets, uh, and he gets firsthand recollections of what transpired, what happened, what has bonded them together after all these years still. Um, there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of information that the American public may not know or may not remember. Um, it is, as we just come out of Armed Forces Month and Memorial Day weekend last weekend, upcoming 4th of July, um, it is, and with terror attacks happening around the world, it couldn't be more timely, more important to really pay attention to these documentaries such as Danger Close, which we've had with my friend Alex Quaid, an embed reporter, and David Salzberg and Christian Tarot and their Heroes of Action, uh, Heroes of Valor series, trilogy. Now we have Legion of Brothers, and there are a couple more uh similarly themed films and docs like this that are coming up one of which opens on friday in theaters you heard a little bit about it last week megan levy megan levy the true story of marine corporal megan levy uh 
and her incredible canine, Rex, and the journey that she went through after both of them proving to be exemplary soldiers, both being injured in combat, both receiving Purple Hearts, and then Megan's battle to then adopt Rex. It has become, she was, uh, hers was one of the seminal cases in the United States that helped to change the law so that soldiers could start adopting their dogs. Um, it's, it's always been a dicey proposition for the longest time, but this was probably, thanks to the involvement of Chuck Schumer, Megan Levy's story, and that of Rex, it became one of the most notable um, I can't recommend the film highly enough when it opens on Friday. It is directed by Gabriella Copperthwaite. Of course, you know her award-winning work with Blackfish. And you have seen and you have witnessed firsthand what that one film has done to the industry, to such as SeaWorld. Um, whales will no longer be in captivity. They will not be bred such as Tillicum was. Um, Gabriella has a great eye and a great sense of responsibility, social consciousness. Um, I think she is the perfect person to to direct Megan Levy. It stars Kate Mara. Last week you heard a little bit of my exclusive interview with Gabriella talking about the, the making of Megan Levy. Uh, there's a lot more to the interview, which will be up on this week before the film opens on Friday. You can find, you'll be able to find it and listen to excerpts of it, as well as read about uh, the interview at BehindTheLensOnline.net. That's where you can find us when we are not on the radio or on the internet with Behind the Lens, the radio show. Uh, but... Again, I cannot recommend Megan Levy highly enough when it opens this Friday, and it will be nationwide. Um, for more information on, for those of you that are fascinated by the idea of war dogs, and once you see the film and the story of Rex and Megan, you know, there is a, there is a website, uh, I believe it's the wardogs.org, and it'll give you the whole history of war dogs, um, starting with Robbie's Law in 2000 which became codified in the U.S. Code that then set up, so, set up a program so that soldiers could start adopting their canine companions from the battlefield. Um, and interestingly, all war dog adoptions are handled out of Lachlan, Texas, uh, the 341st Training Squadron, I believe. Um, so put that on your calendar for this coming Friday. It is a fabulous, fabulous film. And uh, as I and t- bring tissues when you see it, people bring tissues because it is it's a tearjerker. But uh, and it also bodes an outstanding performance from Bradley Whitford and also Tom Felton. Draco Malfoy himself has one of the my favorite my favorite characters in this film. One of the, my favorite performances in the film. Uh And he actually brings a very touching and very heartwarming addition to the story of the canine unit, the Battlefield Canine War Dogs. So, again, this Friday, it'll be everywhere. See it, see it, see it. Um, 
and check out the rest of my interview with Gabrielle Copperthwaite on Behind the Lens Online this week. But another film is opening this week also, and that is My Cousin Rachel. That's going to be in limited release. Uh, but those, and then it'll go wider. Uh, that's Fox Searchlight film. It is a beautiful, beautiful film. It is an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier's 1951 novel. It was her eighth novel. Um, it is very much in the vein of Rebecca, very Hitchcockian in that sense. And Roger Michel opted to do his own adaptation and direct. Roger's work, you know, from Notting Hill, Hyde Park on Hudson, Venus, Morning Glory, Changing Lanes. Um, but what he has done here is he look, went to the book. Classic film fans know that in 1952, My Cousin Rachel was made into a film that starred Richard Burton and Olivia de Havilland. And ironically, it was produced by Fox. Thus, for licensing purposes and chain of custody, um, it makes sense. That is why Fox is releasing My Cousin Rachel. It stars Rachel Weiss in the title role of Rachel, Sam Claflin as Philip. Holiday Granger turns in an amazing performance of Ambiguity as Louise. It is top-notch from beginning to end. Cinematographer is Mike Ely. Uh, production designer Alice Normington and costumes by Dinah Collins. All outstanding. And I have to say, and it pains me to do it, but I much prefer this adaptation of the book over the classic film. Which I know will surprise a lot of people. So right now, we are waiting for Greg Barker to call in. He should be calling. Pam, do we want to take a quick break and see if he calls? Do we want to do that? Rather than go into some clips with Roger? Um, oh, the phone is ringing. We know. This is the beauty of live, as you all know by now. This is the beauty of live. And, and, you know, Pam and I are working out our rhythm. Uh, so, oh, and here she is. She's putzing and playing with the phone. I see her. So, and we have him. Okay. Hello, Greg. Hey, hi. How, How are you, Debbie? I'm fine. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I am thrilled to have you. It's It's great to be talking to you again, number one. But I am thrilled to have you on the show to talk about Legion of Brothers. And I've already been warned you have a hard out at 11.25. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, will, we will get you off the air by then. But okay. for, for the listeners, tell them, I, I gave them a little background at the top of the show as to what Legion of Brothers is. Why don't you explain, you know, what it is, you know, how you approach this, and and what this film stemmed out of, going back to September 11th. Uh, sure, yeah. Well, it's great to be on your show, Debbie. Um, you know, this is the story of uh, the very beginning of what's now the longest war in American history. And uh, if you think back to September 11th, 2001, yeah, you, almost universally, everyone wanted the American military to do something. 
And uh, this is the story of that that first something, the uh, um, attack um, uh, and the invasion of Afghanistan um, by um, a small group of, of American Green Beret soldiers. I should say it wasn't actually an invasion. It was like an infiltration to uh, to overthrow the Taliban government, which had which was in power, running the country, and had supported Osama bin Laden and given him, in fact, safe haven. And this mission was accomplished very quickly, which is why it's kind of hard to remember it now. It was over within, you know, uh, several weeks by a small group of men, uh, 100 special forces units from the Army Green Berets working in conjunction with the CIA and and, uh, the U.S. Air Force, uh, who overthrew the government and installed... um, a new government uh, led by Hamid Karzai and chased uh, al-Qaeda um, out of its safe havens in, in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, so it's really, uh, you know, it's a story that had been in my mind uh, really since 2002 when I met some of these pretty extraordinary special operators um, on another project, and I just always wanted to tell this story. And, and it, uh, and in fact, got, seemed to get more important for me uh, as time went on, because now these same people um, and these same teams are still at the forefront of America's military res- response across the entire Middle East and, in fact, around the world. I mean, presidents, both Trump and Obama, Bush before, sort of have found that the special operations teams can be very effective and that they have a very light footprint. But also they, they you know, often don't fully appreciate, I think, how those forces are best deployed, and and so this kind of this is a, an amazing sort of kind of war story, full of drama and uh, heroics, but also I think as all good war stories have to be a sort of a cautionary tale about the nature of war as told by the the uh, the soldiers who fought it. Mm-hmm. And you know, lately I we've been covering uh, uh, quite a few military-themed documentaries on the show. Most recently, Danger Close and. Uh, Alex Quaid, Embed Reporter, was on the show with us, as were David Salzberg and Christian Tarot, the producers and directors of Danger Close. So everybody's been getting a flavor, especially from Alex, who was the first reporter to ever embed with special ops, uh, as to exactly how special these these men really are and, and with what they do. And what I love about Legion of Brothers is... Now we really get to see a follow-up with these men and what time has done in terms of their reflections with their memories and an insight into, quote-unquote, the art of war that the average American does not get, but for something like Legion of Brothers. I'm curious. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I've never really heard... Um, uh, such elite soldiers talking in such an open and um, kind of reflective way about their experiences um, and the effect those experiences have had on them um, and uh, and their families. It's kind of, and I think just the time was sort of right to kind of go there. I think, um, you know, they are, you know, I think there were, some of these guys were a little tired of just seeing the gung-ho sort of SEAL Team 6 stories, you know, and mm-hmm. not, to, not to take anything away from from the seals, but, but these, you know, just sort of just focusing on how 
you know, amazing that this special operations capability is, is only like a small sliver of the, of the picture. And it doesn't at all get to the, to the, the, um, kind of the real sort of nature of special operations, which is actually not just, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang. It's a lot, actually a lot of it is, is intellectual, uh, working with different cultures, understanding, you know, the environment that you're working in. Most of these guys are, are not your sort of typical sort of, you know, hard-nosed, you know, sort of muscle-bound guys. I mean, they're strong, but they're also super smart, speak several languages. And, um, and that's really what special operations is. It's being able to operate, you know, behind uh, enemy lines um, and find creative solutions, often without sort of much guidance from uh, higher authorities. It's not, not that they can't do the kind of direct action SEAL thing. They do that. They all, all the special operators can do that. But it's really much more nuanced and and uh, and and in fact more more interesting. And so I think they wanted to get that story out, and they also just wanted to get you know the kind of the human dimension of it out. This mm-hmm. is uh, this is um, you know you, generally these wars are fought now by a small group of of men and women, and there's just a limited number of special operators, and they're being called to do you know a lot of you know very challenging tasks not just in the Middle East, but around the world. And, and that is something that they signed up for. But also because this war now has gone on for you know, 15 years, it does take a, a toll in terms of you know, just the repeated deployments. And, and I think that's one thing they just wanted to, we wanted to get out there. And it just hasn't really been fully appreciated yet. So mm-hmm. you know, I set out to make a film that both works as a war movie I mean, and also is something that's reflective and tells us what it's actually like you know, as told by the people who actually live it. Yeah, I'm curious, how logistically challenging was this for you from a filmmaking standpoint? Because as we look back in time, when all of this was unfolding and they were actually on the mission, we weren't at the point we are now in terms of social media, the immediacy of reporting things, factual or rumored. Um in terms of what actual archival materials were actually created in that time because of the lack of social media as we now know it. Did that present a problem for you in assembling a visually appealing and educational aspect of the documentary? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to overstate it because every documentary has its own sort of unique challenges. I mean, <laughs> telling a story about it any kind of uh, military operation, particularly one that is inherently secret, is full of uh, challenges. So, but it's true that even um, you know back then, there it was not routine for um, soldiers to special operations soldiers to carry cameras or video cameras or uh, and we although there were drones that existed, but they were not sort of you know as prevalent and sort of flying all, all over, you know, um, the operations all the time. And, and so as a result, there's just, there was a lot fewer, you know, photographs and, uh, very little, uh, footage, um, of what these guys did. And, um, so, you know, just from a filmic standpoint, and I knew this going in, it was mm-hmm. going to be a challenge to figure out how to do that. And, and luckily there was enough. And, um, we did some cool stuff with, uh, with graphics, I would call it. It's not really animation, so that has the wrong connotation. But it's kind of like just kind of giving a sense uh, uh, of of where they are, 
what the what it looked like, and um, and uh, and how the narrative played out. We we were able to find enough footage um, and enough photographs to kind of make it to make it work. And uh, but at the core of it is really these guys' story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what it was about, and it's just really just their emotional uh, journey, and which is both exciting, you know. Um, absolutely riveting and also, you know, really reflective and at times very painful and tragic. Uh, but that is the nature of war. And it's something, and I have to tell you, I love the graphics. I really love what you did Great. with the graphics. They are very, very effective and very informative. Uh, but something that you do, in addition to speaking with the men who live this, you also bring in their families. And we get to hear from them individually and collectively as a group and see the interaction. Did it surprise you that you were welcomed into into the family group situation for this brotherhood? And also, you know, how important was it to you in or to bring the families into the documentary? Well, it was actually, it was important because uh, myself and my Sort of fellow producer Tresha Mabil, um, who was really sort of intimately involved throughout. Um, you know, in all of our conversations with these guys, they would always talk about their the impact on their families. You know, and um, and so we just wanted to capture that. And um, you know, some you know, it's, as you would expect, these guys have been deployed multiple times, often at length, and. So there's a whole range of experiences with regard to their families. There's, you know, guys who are, are on multiple marriages and marriages that have stood the test of time but been challenged and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's the full gamut of human experiences, as you would ex- as you would expect. I really wanted to get into that some. And, and, um, and, you know, that took some, I wouldn't say convincing, but just getting to know people. And eventually, you know, that's that people wanted to be a part of that. And uh, we had... Um, one of the main characters, again, named Mark Knutsch, who was the captain, the leader of this team that was became famous as the Horse Soldiers mm-hmm. in northern Afghanistan. Um, you know, I'd known Mark since 2002 when I first met him, and uh, but he was always talking about, you know, his uh, he had, you know, his his wife had a child while he was deployed, and, and that was always very, and it was a complicated delivery, and he didn't find out about it for days, and. You know, he'd always talk to me about that, and I wanted to tell that story and convince, um, you know, and then I, I met his wife, and she wanted to be a part of it. She's amazing, you know, uh, inspirational teacher, teaches special education in in, uh, um, uh, in their home, and uh, I mean, in a school district near their home. And she, um, you know, she then came to Sundance, and at the premiere had a standing ovation with, with the rest of the guys, and then really was eloquent about the impact on the families and having at first been, I think to say kind of reluctant to, to talk and unsure what that would entail now is, you know, incredibly, um, uh, commanding at, uh, at the Q and A's we often do after screenings and, and uh, sort of grown into that, into that role. Um, and the, 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 the spouses tend to be incredibly close knit on some of these teams. And mm-hmm. even now, as we see in the film, you know, Fifteen years later, they're still like, or just like family, and um, you know, so the guys can be like family, a legion of brotherhoods, but also like a legion of sisters too. Is the is the is the wise, and and um, uh, and I think that's true. You know, now that there are women in this force as well, I mean, it's just, it's true across the board. People become very very tight with each other's families, mm-hmm. and 
because this is a, you know, and I came from a military family myself, and there was always that bond with other military families. And, you know, when my dad deployed, my, you know, my mom and her friends would get together. I think it's just even accentuated within the special operations world because of the intensity of what they do and the secrecy is they just generally don't know. The family doesn't know what their, what their loved one is up to because, mm-hmm. they, because they can't. Well, unfortunately, it is 1125, and I have to make sure that yeah, you, I gotta, you have to I run. Do. i got to hop in a car and get across town, so yes. But I, 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 ju- I just want to thank you, Greg, but I also want to let everybody know that you can watch Legion of Brothers. It'll be on-demand DVD and Blu-ray on June 26th, and it is still playing in selective theaters around the country. Yeah, so check it out. It's playing in some of the, um, the Special Forces towns. It starts uh, on Friday in Clarksville, which is home of the 5th Group Special Forces. Uh, I think in Fayetteville, North Carolina, near Fort Bragg, San Diego, um, several other places as well. So um, check out the website, legionofbrothers.com uh, or .org, or you'll find it. And uh, the Facebook page as well, and then it'll be on iTunes uh, later this month, too. And, and, and then broadcast on CNN in sort of mid-September, and then on Hulu later in the year. So multiple ways of, of, of checking it out. Well, when you get ready for it to go on CNN, I hope you'll come back on the show and we can plug it some That'd more. Be great. Greg, thank yeah, you so will. much. All right. Thank you, Debbie. Now run, get your car. <laughs> bye-bye. Right, thanks. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. And that was Greg Barker, director of Legion of Brothers. Um I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It really is. It's very insightful. It's very informative. Uh, and you can find it in theaters now for all the military out there. And I know we do have military that listen to the show. Um, please check out the theaters in your areas, as Greg said. It's going to be opening in Clarksville, Fort Bragg. Uh, I think it's playing. I think it's either playing now or it's coming to uh, Fort Benning in Columbus, Georgia. So I hope my aunt goes and sees it. Um, my grandfather ran the brig there for decades, so I have great affinity for, for the army and the military. Um, but right now I think Pam and I are going to take a break as lights are flickering. So we're obviously haunted in here today. Um, and then we will be back in just a few minutes. This is behind the lens. And welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias. It is, again, the first month of June. For those of you just tuning in, you just missed the wonderful Greg Barker talking about his new documentary, Legion of Brothers, uh, about the Special Ops Green Beret who went on special missions immediately after 9-11 with the mission to bring down the Taliban and uh, Al-Qaeda. It's a fascinating film. It is in theaters and limited release, and come June 26th, it will also be available DVD, Blu-ray, VOD, and as Greg was saying, later in the year in September, airing on CNN and then on Hulu after that. Greg will be back on the show later this summer uh, to talk more about the film. Um, Coming up momentarily, when they call in, we're going to switch gears and go from the sobriety of war to something a little lighter. How about the Dances with Films Film Festival, which is currently going on in Hollywood at the Man's Chinese Complex. Um, This is the 20th year for Dances with Films. And hopefully joining us will be 
the founders of the festival, uh, Leslie Scallon and Michael Trent. Uh, they have a fascinating story of how the festival started. I have covered films throughout the past 20 years on the festival. I have covered the festival uh, in its early years. I'm actually back covering it this year. Did the re- the quote-unquote green carpet the other night. Um, jam-packed. And I have to give a huge shout-out to the publicist hired for Dances with Films. Um, did an amazing, amazing job. Um, Sylvia Desrochers. And Sylvia, as you know, Sylvia's been a guest on the show, giving great advice and guidance not only to publicists but to filmmakers. And, oh, what is this? Pam is trying to type to me. Who do we... Do we have Leslie and Michael? They're on the same phone? Just Leslie. Okay, we'll take Leslie. Hello, Leslie Scanlon. Are you... You have both of us. Michael's there, too. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, welcome, welcome yeah. to Behind the Lens, guys. Hey, well, thank you. I am so, so much ha- for having us. I am thrilled to have you. Twenty years. This is scary. Right? Twenty. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know, I was talking to some filmmakers the other day, and I said, guys, I said, I remember back in the very early days at the theater on Fairfax and... You know, headquarters was at the farmer's daughter across from the Grove, and you know, yeah, that's yeah, that was two thousand six, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And to see where the festival has come, wow! What is the secret? What is the secret, guys? The secret is our filmmakers. Every year, you know, the filmmakers' creativity, their energy. Um, it just really makes the whole event worth putting on. And every year, more people pitch in, and the word gets spread more and more about what kind of quality that we have. And it's just be- it's just become a phenomenal, you know, kind of cultural experience for us. Well, I think I, th- I think I think I blew your mind on social media when I act- when I posted on there that the films that I was screening for Dances with Films were actually a better quality than ones I started looking at for L.A. Film Festival. I, well, you know, well, 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 thank you. Yeah, and we're and we're we're so proud of our our entire slate is just amazing, you know. And uh, the thing that I think is really terrific is that for some reason, along with these really terrific films, we have terrific filmmakers, mm-hmm. you know. And everybody realizes it's about you know meeting each other, supporting each other, um, because Michael, as Michael likes to always say, success is not finite. There's, there's room for more mm-hmm. than one person at the top in the, in the filmmaking industry. Yeah, and that's one of the beautiful things about Dances with Films, and consistently over the years, the filmmakers interact with each other, they stay in touch. Almost every film that I have covered and, and reviewed or done interviews on over the years, to this day I am still in touch with those filmmakers. And, wow. and to see some of them, it's like a perfect example. And I was in an interview yesterday. I was telling a group of filmmakers, I said, you want to know how, what Dances with Films is about? You go back and you look at a little film called Wannabe, directed by, written and directed by Richard Keith. Then you take a look at who is in that film. One of them went on to produce an Academy, to direct an Academy Award winning film. That man was Tate Taylor. Another woman in that film went on to get an Oscar. Octavia Spencer. 
This is <laughs> this is what comes from dances with films. And well, and what an appropriate title that they came out of. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the help. <laughs> yes, wannabes, and it's fu- it's it's actually funny, Michael. I was interviewing Octavia a couple months ago for the Shack, and I brought up wannabe, and I said, "Well, it's solidified now. You're a wannabe no more." And she <laughs> she got a good laugh out of that. She laughed about that. Yeah, you know, one you guys, unlike so many festivals, this is not political about who gets in, who gets out. It's not who you know. It is about the quality of the films. How difficult is it to pick your slate every year when you have the qual when you're looking at the quality and not oh well this this person's attached to it and oh th- that person's attached to it or is that easier? Well, I mean, it, it makes it a lot easier. I mean, if, if there are n- none of those things in play, I mean, you're simply looking at the films. You know, and and every single year it gets actually easier in a way uh, because the the quality of the submissions, you know, just continues to grow. Uh, You know, I mean, we always have a a terrific slate every single year. But this year is, uh, and I know a lot of film festivals say, you know, this is the best year ever in terms of the quality of the films. But but it's absolutely true. And the only way uh, you'll know it is if you actually come down to the festival and and check out the films. Uh, Because we just have a, a, you know, truly remarkable slate that we're thrilled about that are going to be the next wannabes, I guess, uh, you know, in the future. Well, I, I, I mean, the other thing is the the other thing is Debbie that um, when when we're actually selecting them because we are not a niche festival, we're mm-hmm. not a horror or a you know the Asian or black or anything like that. We really have a, a, a wide range of different films, you know. And when you're talking about the difficulty in selecting something, sometimes we lose some really good films because we've already got our couple of psychological thrillers and i think that's when it gets really hard when when we all have these certain films and it's not just michael and i we have a screening crew of what was it this year michael maybe like 40 or something like Mm -hmm. that you know and each person will have their favorite and will fight for them and you know it's kind of programming the festival is like trying to put together a jigsaw puzzle that you don't know exactly what it's supposed to look like Uh uh-oh a blind jigsaw puzzle (laughs) Exactly. I mean, and one of the things that you touched upon was, uh, you know, just in terms of, of how the festival has grown. And, you know, because right, you know, early in the early days, people would say, well, there's no such thing as community in Los Angeles. But one of the things that Leslie and I uh, have tried to create, and we've been uh, fortunate enough, I think, just simply because of all the people that we have uh, had around us all these years, is that I think that we have created a, a community. And that is kind of at the heart of the festival every single year. Yeah, and in speaking with filmmakers, you know, that's one of the things that made, for some of them, have said, no, this was the number one festival. This was the festival I wanted to get into. I wasn't even submitting anywhere else because I wanted to get into this one so desperately. And it's for that very reason. And I thought that... Well, I mean, it's 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 a terrific honor to have people wanting to choose us first. You know, we've obviously we've we've fought a long hard battle to to get to this place. Well you have, yes. And, and we still do. <laughs> <laughs> C- coming yeah. come, you're not you're not sitting on dirty carpets in a the theater anymore. 
<laughs> well, well, they might be slightly cleaner, but you know, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, that's the other thing is is holding it at uh, the Chinese theater in Hollywood is so tremendous. I mean, first of all, they've got we we love Lemleys. I mean, they're they are they are are we are their fans for forever because oh, we were there for fifteen years. Absolutely. But the Chinese is nice because it has this big lobby where we can really spread out and you know, and have room for people to really talk. And we have terrific panels. In fact, uh, today at 1 o'clock, we have our powerhouse panel, which has got people, um, you know, like Mark Ordesky, who is one of the producers of Lord of the Rings, is going to be sitting on that panel. And so to be able to bring the wealth of experience that is in this town to these five panels that we have at uh, 1 o'clock in the theater every day is just, such it's so great for the filmmakers and for anybody else who who's interested in making a film to be able mm-hmm. to talk to people who are doing it and doing it well and you've also expanded the festival as the years have gone by most recently with your dancing with kids that you have going right. on <laughs> yeah i mean you know and, and that's super cool this is actually the fourth year of dance with kids mm-hmm. and, and it I, is uh I mean, not only is it, uh, you know, a festival that celebrates films for kids, uh, but almost more importantly, it celebrates films that are made by kids. I mean, because there's nothing cooler than having a six- or seven-year-old uh, doing a Q&A right after their screening at the Chinese theater. I mean, that is, that, that, that's worth the price of admission right there. Um, <laughs> the excitement they have and the joy on their face, nothing beats that. Nothing. Yeah, and and also, and also, funny enough, we actually have a filmmaker, one of our kid filmmakers uh, in Dances with Kids. Mm-hmm. His father was actually in our very first year of Dances with Films. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I oh. mean, in 1998. Now uh, you know it's cycled back around, and now he has to his uh, his kid, like she just said. Uh, but uh, also, we started uh, Dances with Pilots last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're coming into the second year of that, and that's another division of, uh, of, of the festival, and that is geared toward uh, webisodes and, and TV pilots. And I have to tell you, I am so in love with the Dances with Pilots category. I've already seen four or five this year that people threw out to me because they wanted me to take a look at them. These are wow, amazing. Cool. I mean, there's yeah. one. There's one of them. I want to see that on television right now. Right now, Becca on call. I'm going to say it. I want to see Becca <laughs> on call on television right now. Well, uh, that's what we're, we're we're trying to get all those television execs and development people down there. You know, that's part of why. That's one of the reasons why we have this festival in Los Angeles is so that we can get the industry in to be able to see these these gems that. You know, they wouldn't necessarily see if they went to a festival where it's the whole star-studded thing. They kind of, these films kind of get buried under mm-hmm. in, in that kind of an environment. And here, everybody's on a level playing field. Yeah. And that's so important. That is so very important. I know, you know, you because you also get a lot of first-time filmmakers, first-time producers. Some of them now, it's like, they're, how do I distribute my film? What do I do? How do I sell it? And I know that as part of your panels, you not only include that as a subject, but then do you, you still make, do you still put send out too 
distributors and whatnot, inviting them to come and see these films. I know you religiously did that for the longest time. Oh, absolutely. That's the, one of the one of the real reasons that we even created it. You know, Michael and I had a film in 1997, and we needed to have a screening for it. And Michael came up with this great idea of the fact that if we have a really great small film with no names in it, I bet you there's a lot of other people do. <laughs> and, you know, brought we brought together, um, we took a small ad out in one of the industry magazines and got like 300 entries the first day because they loved our, you know, our credo of no politics, no star, no shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know if you have to bloop that. But, yeah. Well, that's okay. We're going out live, so tough. <laughs> And I won't, and, and I won't, and I won't bloop it on, on, you know, when I throw the audio on my website and on iTunes, it won't get bleeped, you know, so. <laughs> because that, uh, that's, yeah. but that's saying, I mean, that's saying it is, in a good way though, Michael, using it in that context is a good way when you're describing this festival, because as Leslie said, there is no politics, there is no crap. This is, it's all about good films, making good films, showcasing good films, and, showcasing these incredible filmmakers that are out there. You know, and something that I wanted to bring up, you know, because I think that there's a lot of barriers that, that uh, I, I don't think that we necessarily try to break these barriers, but we do because we don't actually uh, vet certain things in terms of uh, films that we bring in. For instance, uh, you know, at the festival, you will see a lot of women filmmakers. We don't actually go after women filmmakers, but they rise to the top. Uh, we have uh, films and projects that are made by first-time people that are middle-aged or even in their 60s, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and we, the, and we, also, we also have people who are members of the Academy, you know, mm-hmm. who, yeah. the people who vote for the, for the Oscars. We have met three or four that are actually members of the Academy that are with us. So yeah. it's, it's really, um, it's, it's such a wide variety. We have... Um, uh, a girl who was with us, I shouldn't call her a girl, she's a woman, and, um, but her film, first film with us was last year, and she was 17, and she's back this year at 18. And, I mean, it, it, she, I mean, she's just a phenomenal talent. But we don't look at her and go, oh, she's 18 so, or 17, and so, uh, you know, we'll pick, we'll pick her film. We pick it because it was chosen because it's good. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that's that's how we judge films. I mean, we judge them based upon one another in terms of of all the, the you know submissions that come in each and every year. But it's but it's really fascinating to us that we find such a range of of peoples, if you will. You know, every everyone from you know as, as we've said, like six and seven years old uh, into uh, you know into later in life, and and also uh, I mean just across every platform. So. Now, do, do either of you have favorites in the festival this year? We can never say that. <laughs> <laughs> we love all the films. <laughs> well, you yeah. should love I mean, all the we, films. We, we have quite a contention uh, of films coming from Australia. Uh, I mean, we do each and every year, and, and we, I mean, you know, some of those are, are films that we love. I mean, we love all, as Leslie said, we, we really love all the, the films that come into the festival. And so we're, we're never going to, uh, you know, play favorites at all. Um, but but we're, we're just excited. I mean, this year has been, uh, you know, just... Some, sometimes it's really funny because, you know, Debbie, we do the Q&As after every screening. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is really cool about this. Not only do you get to see a great film, 
but then the filmmakers, you know, come down and talk about the project and everything like that. And it's funny because some of us are like arm wrestling, going, no, I want to do that Q&A. No, I want to do that Q&A. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because, because the people, not just Leslie and I, but uh, all the people, because there's, there's pretty large staff at this point, uh, and all of them have seen all of these films, and they're all excited to, you know, uh, you know, participate in these Q and A's and just interact with the filmmakers and themselves. Um, you know, I mean, and and that's a great thing to see, especially uh, in a Q and A situation where because because you have an excited audience and you also have an engaged, uh, you know, panel who is continually interested in you know just wanting to find out more and more information about how these films originated, where they came from, how they were inspired. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, it has yeah. been a joy to have you on the show. Unfortunately, I'm going to boot you guys off because we have two Dances with film Films filmmakers who are going to come on next. Oh, that's a good reason to be booted. And they <laughs> Those are, are our favorites. And they are, <laughs> and they are holding right now. So, unfortunately, I have to say goodbye to you guys. But this has been, I'm so thrilled that you came on the show, Leslie and Michael. I really am. This, this has been a real treat. Well, thank you for having us. We really, we appreciate it. And we love the fact that you champion uh, the films that we love to champion. So yes, kudos thank and thanks to you as well. Uh, and enjoy your interview with uh, our filmmakers. They're all terrific. Oh, try, everyone I've met so far I love. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We will talk to you soon and hopefully see you at the festival. I will see you guys later this week. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. See you then. Bye, Bye. Bye. And that was Leslie Scallon and Michael Trent, founders of Dances with Films. And now, speaking of Dances with Films, I have now with me two of my favorite filmmakers from Dances with Films. I have Kenny. <laughs> I have Kenny Young and Phil James. Hi, guys. Hey, Debbie. How you doing? Thank am, you for having us. I am so thrilled. Yes, Leslie and Michael. They understood. They they accepted getting kicked off early because I have. <laughs> I have. Oh, they were they were good sports. God bless. They were good sports. Yeah. Well, only because you two have have the the fabulous film chance. In Dances with Films. They didn't know it was you coming on, though. They only knew oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're very excited. Well, you know how much I love the film. So now for all of, of my wonderful Behind the Lens listeners, tell me what, tell them what Chance is about. Uh, Chance is a story of a, a young pit bull puppy, an idealistic and imaginative pit bull puppy who's torn from his family and raised in the world of dog fighting, of uh, underground dog fighting, where he struggles to hold on to his values and beliefs. And this is animated. And it's, and it's an all-animated film, and it's, it's through, the, uh, through the point of view of the dog. You never really see... Yeah, it's totally the, from um, the perspective of the main character, Chance. You, well, know, you never really see the individuals or the people um, talking or anything throughout the film. It's all 100% through the point of view of the dogs and their struggles to hold on to their um, core values. You know, and that's something that I found that I think is very important in the film because it, it deals with not just about the undercurrents of dog fighting and the metaphor to our own history uh, that is inherent in there, but you con- you concentrate and focus on the ideas of friendship, freedom, 
Um, you make a definite statement about dogfighting, but you really, you're, the anthropomorphism and the anthropomorphic emotion that you give to not only Chance, but his best friends Hannibal and Sugar and Mutt is just outstanding. It is riveting. Thank you. you it, Thank you so much, Debbie. It escapes you that this is an animated film. The motion is so real. The animation itself, so realistic in capturing the eyes of the dogs, the the differentials as personalities change throughout the course of the film, and just the, the drawing of the jawline or the softening of the cheek, um, or just the sad puppy dog eyes. You know, I told you, 10 boxes of Kleenex for this movie. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, we have, we have to give a lot of credit to our animator and our director, Kenny Roy, because he really, he really took a... Uh, really, uh, I wish he was here to explain it more, but he did some really creative things to humanize the dogs so we could, you know, relate to them. And like you said, uh, they just they emote a human emotion, but not so much where they kind of, um, you know, where they abandon them their situation as animals and, and what they're going through. So Kenny Roy really, really did a, an amazing job. And that was our goal to find someone who we thought could really get it and really could really capture, you know, the essence of the characters. Mm. And we think he did a phenomenal job. Well, you know, as, as uh, we, ta- as we talked about yesterday, you know, I think definitely Kenny Roy and then, you know, your art director, you know, you did such a great job to keep this from being what I called Disney-fied. You, that's what our. And we're going to use that word. That's a good word. I know you like we're that, keep word. that word. But that's you know, you so easily could have softened everything because you look at number one. I don't think Disney would ever touch a film, an animated film that dealt had an underlying theme of dogfighting, even in banning it. I agree. Um, yeah. But at the same token, even if other animation companies, I think they they would have tried to soften the look and the feel of the film. And you didn't do that. You gave it pure, visceral emotion. And by those emotions, you cover the range. You've got love. You've got sadness. You've got sorrow. You've got anger. And so wonderful is the animation that we see and feel Thank each you, of those. We feel each of those as, as we watch. This was a... Um, yeah, let me oh, a lot coming from you. And, and like you said, we couldn't dignify it because that would be a discredit to the... Integrity of the story, because this is a very real thing. I mean, we also want to, like, really raise awareness with this film. And to sort of let people off the hook with a happy, with the so-called happy ending. Don't give it away. Don't give anything away. It would resonate the same. (laughs) You know, I said, don't give anything away because, you know, people can can get tickets to co-see the movie tonight at 930. It dances with films at Man's Chinese Complex. Yeah, please, please come out, and, come join out and join us. You know, uh, it'll be a fantastic time, absolutely. But you know, what was this process? Because the two of you have worked together for years; you've been friends for years. What was the process like in bringing the story, this story of chance, which started out being called a dog's dream, um, in bringing this to life and and getting it to this point of now for the public to see and being in a film festival. Debbie, the, the biggest thing was a lot of rewrites. That was the biggest thing. And to piggyback, the, the original name was Doggy Dog. So that was the first name. So it's, it's had a, 
Okay. Phil, don't I got to know, did Phil come up with that? Did you come up with that one? The first time came up with uh, Kenny came up with Doggy Dog. I came up with a, the the second one and then Kenny came up with the last one which was Chance. That's the one that uh, he came up with. That's the last one he came up with. Well, I'm glad you got because, rid of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, a little, it was a little too gritty. It was, it was a little, too a little gritty, bit but, too uh, gritty. And that was kind of yeah, the... Yeah, that was sort of the genesis of the film. Cause it, it started with a, with a real encounter with the dog that uh, Phil and I had while visiting a friend. He took us to another friend's house, and that guy had a pit bull there that was just the most sweet, the most charming dog ever, and played with the dog for like half hour, however long we were there. And we were leaving, we complimented him on what a great dog he was, and he said, yeah, he's got his first fight tomorrow to the death. And that just really, you know, really kind of shook us. And unfortunately, we didn't do anything to, to prevent that. We, we felt that, you know, we felt sort of obligated to, to tell that dog's story or to tell the story of so many dogs right. that have to experience that same thing. So uh-huh. that started. And then when I started writing, when I worked the first draft, we, I just couldn't imagine doing this as, uh, you know, live action with real dogs. And that's an idea for animation came up. But we initially had planned to do it in 2D. Mm-hmm. And we had actually hooked up with an animator, and yeah, especially with with something like this, you have to find the right animator that has the right vision, the right direction, and the right heart. You know, has the same heart in in the right place. And that first animator didn't work out. So then we we came across Kenny Roy, and and Acronix Studios, <clears throat> and he totally got it. He was the first one to introduce the whole concept of 3D for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he totally got it, and he was passionate about it, and that's what we wanted. We wanted someone who could really could tell the story the way we wanted to 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 display it. And and I have to to piggyback off what Kenny said earlier. Kenny Roy was he was very passionate, and he knew what we wanted. And then he could and then he brought even more to the table. So mm-hmm. we were we were blessed to get him on board to help us out with this project. You know, Phil, I want to ask you as a producer. Did you have any idea of the challenges and hurdles you would have to overcome putting together an animated feature? Debbie, I had no clue. <laughs> this was totally different from anything that we've ever done. The the entire process was totally different. So it was a it was definitely a learning experience for both of us, but it it it, it, it was, was a huge leap of overwhelming at times. You know, normally we can shoot a shoot a movie in the course of a couple months, mm-hmm. but this project right here, just the animation alone, took two years to do. So it was it was definitely a learning experience, but we've learned a lot from it. So when we do our next animated film, we'll be much more prepared. So you will you do another animated film? I hope so. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. We, we we definitely have another one we would like to do, and it's another cause-type animation film. So it has a huge cause behind it as well. Mm-hmm. Do you like that idea? Because I mean, you, you don't pigeonhole yourself into a genre or a, or, a, or a particular theme. You know, you diversify yourselves with the type of films you make. Are you finding that yourselves being attracted to social causes now, like dogfighting? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say so. We do, especially the times we live in. This is such a you know a time of social cause that's fueled by social media. So this is really a time to be so much more aware. And I think the audience now, or maybe more so than ever, they're looking for more than just entertainment. 
because there's so much entertainment pushed at us all the time where that alone isn't enough substance. Mm-hmm. You want something, sub, something of substance and something that you can believe in or a cause to stand up for, or something that can grip you and, and you can make an emotional investment in. So we do this, and especially this experience with Making Chance, we feel that's really kind of inspired us or reignited our, our you know, because when we first started as filmmakers, we wanted to tell a cause. You know, we wanted to make movies that move, make films that move people and had a cause. Mm-hmm. But then you get caught up in the commercialism of things, you find yourself drifting. But this film, thankfully, really brought us back to that, to that initial independent and socially conscious spirit. Mm-hmm. And here you are. And as, as, well, as well as, you know, we're, we're in the process of teaming up with different organizations like the Anti-Dog Fighting Campaign, the Bully Crew, and a lot of other uh, pit bull organizations. We're in the process of teaming up with a lot of them as we speak right now. Some of them are on board and more are coming on board every day. So it's something that we're very excited about. Mm-hmm. If each of you had to pick one favorite aspect about the hero in your film, Chance, what would it be? Mine would be just the dream aspect that he's a dreamer. That would be the biggest thing. And, yeah, I would I would say that, that he's a dreamer, because I kind of relate my life to that, being a dreamer and, and wanting everybody to live happy and love and and all that good stuff. That's the kind of that's the kind of guy that I am. And yes, I think I'd have to piggyback on Phil. I, I think the aspect that he's he's a dreamer. You know, he believes in something better, and he's going for it. Because I think that that mirrors what you know what Phil and I do. You know, we have a dream, and we have to believe in it and go for it. So that fuels us. And people like Chance inspire us. So I, I think that that resonates with both of us. Well, unfortunately, guys. I'm actually out of time for the whole show, and I have to say goodbye oh, wow. to you. Yeah, it's fun. But I mean, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Promise me, you guys will come back on the show again. Absolutely, I promise because I know you have. I'm a pleasure to be back. I know you have so much stuff in the works, and I want to, and I, you know, want my listeners to keep up with you guys so that they know what's coming down the pike from you. But absolutely, you, James Young Entertainment. In the mean, in the meantime, everybody can go to Dances with Films tonight, the Man's Chinese Complex at Hollywood and Highland, and you can see Chance at nine thirty. There are still tickets available. Yes, please so, come out. We'd love to have you. Oh, guys, thank you thank so, you guys much. so much. Thank and you so I, much, really Debbie. We Debbie. really appreciate you. Look forward to being back. Thank oh, you for what you're doing. Oh, and I will see you guys soon. All right, Absolutely. Okay. Debbie. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. 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 And that was screenwriter Kenny Young and producer Phil James talking about their little independent film, Chance, at Dances with Films, premiering tonight. That's all the time we have today. I will be back next week. Already got a full slate of guests for you next week. So, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 